And 
We introduced a new song last week called From Everlasting and invite you to join us in singing. Thank you. 
Christ that you and better out of. Christ the true and better Adam, Son of God and Son of Man, who went tempted in the garden, never yielded, never sinned. He who makes the many righteous brings us back. Servants 
your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 and remain standing with me. This is God's inspired, inerrant, perfect word to us this morning. Galatians 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You may be seated. We're going to pray together this morning, and we want to remember the, the Byers family. They serve in Central California, and they use uh, their gifting with the arts to actually share the gospel with people who have been involved in human trafficking, and so really neat gospel opportunity. We want to uh, remember their family. We also want to thank God that the Africa team made it home safely, and we have a team that's in Mexico right now coming home today, so we want to also remember them. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, and we thank you, and we come before you because of the blood of Jesus, because of his life and death on our behalf, because of his resurrection and ascension to your right hand. Now we have access to you, and we come, Lord, with boldness and with trembling. You are the God of gods. You are, you are our Father, our King, our Lord, our Rescuer, our Redeemer, and we bow before you with joy this morning. Thank you for cleansing us by your blood, for making us right with you, and for stamping the image of your Son on us, even when we were running away from you. You came after us, and so we praise you. Lord, we offer ourselves to you this morning. You've called us to present our lives as living sacrifices, and we do that this morning, Lord. Transform us, change us, do the work in our hearts that only you can do. We cannot change ourselves, but you can through the power of your word and the working of your spirit. So please do that this morning. Warm up our cold hearts, soften our hard hearts, change how we think, change how we view the world, change how we love others, and make us more like you, Father. And Lord, thank you that you brought the team from Africa home safely. Thank you for the work that they got to do there. And the same for the team in Mexico. Please bring them home as well, Lord. Please continue to provide opportunities where we get to, to share the gospel and share the hope that there is in Christ with others around the world. Lord, we pray for the Byers family, that you would give them opportunities and give them boldness and wisdom, that you would strengthen and encourage their family uh, as they raise their kids and as they serve, Lord. Bless them, bless their ministry, bless their family. And Lord, we bring all of our anxieties and pain and, and even our hopes to you this morning, Lord, and we lay them at your feet. We give them up to you. You, you are wise and you are good, and the paths you lead us down are for your glory and for our joy, and so we trust you. Help us to trust you. Help us to be content in where you have us and to trust you in where you're leading us. You are the good shepherd, and so we worship you. We ask that you would comfort and challenge and shape us this morning. We pray 
in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Lord, we thank you for um, your word that tells us that before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you'd formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Um, we're small, and you're great, and you're holy, and we want to have eyes to see, um, and hearts to adore, and ears to hear, and mouths to taste, um, that you are good. And we pray that you'd open up your words um, and open up our eyes to see you more through it. And thank you for this time, and in Jesus' name, amen. It is joyful to be back with you, and I bring you greetings from Zambia and Malawi, our friends there, especially Chopo Mwanza, that I hope you will be able to meet sometime soon, and then our good friend Newton Chilangulo, that um, these guys are close friends and kindred spirits, and uh, they live and serve with humility and a passion for Christ and Scripture, and uh, it was a joy to be with them, and to, uh, we had a goal, our goal was to go and to uh, humbly help and bless the church there, and we trust that, that God used us in that way. I want to thank you for your support as a church. It was um, immeasurable, and uh, we arrived home Friday night after we had 46 hours of travel on the way home, so there was a lot of travel on the way home. Uh, God gave us, though, the strength we needed at every point along the way. We saw the hand of God at work. Uh, he provided everything we needed. Uh, he blessed the relationships. He blessed the preaching and the teaching. And Steve and Tony and Connor and I are very uh, much looking forward to Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. We're going to give a report and share on the trip, as well as we'll be catching up with many of you um, in person as well. <clears throat> so today we're back in Ephesians, and uh, glorious grace, and soul-satisfying, life-transforming, uh, church-unifying uh, words that we find in Ephesians, and we're going to look at two verses today. Just two verses, and I'm going to read them, and then I'll pray. This is God's Word. This is Ephesians 1, and just verses 5 and 6. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for your grace to us, your mercy. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. Lord, you uphold all things by the word of your power. You work all things after the counsel of your will. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts today for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There was nervous excitement and anticipated joy. Uh, the couple was sworn in. The documents to be signed were reviewed. And the attorney asked the man and then the woman, are you asking the court today to adopt these children? Do you understand that by adopting them, they will be treated as your legal children? And do you also understand they will be treated as natural children born to you? And by adopting them, that includes the right to inherit your estate. The father and mother, in turn, both said yes. They signed the documents, and the judge said, okay, the court is in receipt of the forms for adoption. 
The children should be adopted and treated in all respects as their own lawful children. The petitions are granted. The minor children are adopted by the petitioners. They shall be in their custody, regarded and treated in all respects as their own lawful children. They shall sustain toward the children and the children toward them, each respectfully having all the duties of a natural parent and child. The judge signed the adoption order, presented the parents with a certificate of family membership, and then said this, by the authority vested in me, it is declared that these are the children of these parents, members of this family with all the rights and responsibilities attached thereto. And they were all in the courtroom celebrating a beautiful process of adoption. As beautiful as that is, there is an adoption that is better and greater and more permanent and more secure. And Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 tells us, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is adopted to praise God's glorious grace. Every believer. The God predetermined to make believers his own to praise his glorious grace. But God decided to bring us into a relationship with himself, and it is beautifully pictured by adoption. Ephesians is a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of exhortation. It reminds believers of their immeasurable blessings in Christ, including adoption, that we would not only be thankful for these blessings, but live in a manner worthy of them. And, and we all know how it goes. With all of Christ's blessings, it is easy for us to be tempted to become self-satisfied, to become complacent, to become weak or lazy, or even acting entitled and demanding. Sometimes we act entitled and demanding like Veruca Salt in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, just demanding our way. Here's Paul. He's writing to first century believers struggling with their identity, just like we struggle with our identity. And, and they're battling ungodly pressure, and they're fighting persecution, and they're wrestling persistent threats to the gospel. And they're, it's like they're paddling upriver. It's like they're pedaling really hard, fiercely uphill, and they're tempted to cave in. They're tempted to redefine or twist truth, just like we are. And so to, to reinforce their grasp on their identity in Christ, Paul just goes at it like a boxer battling a foe. To fortify them, to strengthen them, and us, with the implications of being predestined and chosen by God. As John Calvin put it, Paul's motive here is to rouse hearts to gratitude, to set us all on fire, and to fill us to overflowing with this thought. I'm the most blessed child of God, that I am grateful, that I am thankful to be adopted to praise God's glorious grace. These verses tell us, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. These two verses. They're immeasurable in the impact that they had on the original hearers and on the impact they can have 
upon our hearts and our lives. They consist, these two verses consist of six prepositional phrases that, that all point to predestined. It's like these marker points. They're all signs that are pointing right at the word predestined. And the high number, six prepositional phrases, it emphasizes and focuses the, on the act of God predestining believers. And it's relatively easy to sketch out the relationship of these phrases to one another and as it regards to predestination, which we looked at several weeks ago. In verse 5, you see God's motive in doing it. You see God's act. You see God's focus. You see God's means. And you see God's joy. And then in verse 6, God's goal. So God's motive, God's act, God's focus, God's means, God's joy, and then God's goal. And the first prepositional phrase is God, it tells us God's motive, in love. It was love. Why did God do it? Because he loves us. In love, it says he predestined us. So he marked us out with a boundary beforehand, literally marking out his own property. He foreordained, he predestined, and the decision sprang from a heart of love. That's the reason why God did it. The elect are predetermined, preappointed to sonship, to daughterhood. The election and predestination that were found in the verses right before are part of the, the wonderful works of God that, that Paul just recites right away. And that, that they both happened before creation. That elect means that God chose from or selected from all humanity and predestination is the why of election. He predetermined to bring every Christian into his family for his inheritance and then chose us out of all humanity. The reason God chose believers out of all humanity was because he predestined their destiny. And this is the truth that Paul just relishes. He's, he's rejoicing in it. He's excited about it. He, he's simply rejoicing in it and praising God for it. This is what we should do. Just praise God that right off the bat in this letter, he tells them, these are the blessings. This is what God has done. Be grateful. Rejoice. And, and just know that God made this decision out of a heart of love. But we must understand how magnanimous this act was, how momentous the impact was. And it would, have, it would have powerfully impacted the original hearers. It would have hit them so hard. It, you know, the, in that context, the, the slave in, in the Roman context was legally not a human person. Even if they had a master, a good master, that treated them as such, they were still, in the eyes of the, of the law, not a person. That, what, a, what a low standing that, that a, a culture would give to a person made in the image of God. And so for Christians who had been or were slaves, can you imagine what it would have been like for them to hear that God had lovingly predestined them not just to become God's free children, but to become ruling sons and daughters, male and female, through adoption. What a magnificent display of the love of God, of the choosing sovereign love of God, and the lavish, superabundant grace that he just, he just pours out on us in Christ. This is why Paul is, is so happy. This is why you and I should be so happy if you're a believer today. He determined your adoption. He secured it, and it was the love of God displayed. 
and the proof. The proof is all throughout Scripture. We can go as far back as Deuteronomy 7. If you turn to Deuteronomy 7, you see in verses 6 through 8, and God is talking about why he chose his people. He makes it very clear it's not because they were bigger, greater, or stronger. In, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, he says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And he says in verse 7, It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord would set his love on you and choose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then he says, now that's why you should know that the Lord is your God, that Yahweh is your God. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Be blown away by it. Wake up in the morning and think, wow, God did this. In 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that Christ laid down his life for us. In 1 John 4, 10, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It was all because of his love. That God chose, if you're a Christian today, God chose to be in a relationship with you from a heart of love. He didn't come to this decision, you know, kicking and screaming, like, I don't really want to do it, but I guess I'll have to. How many decisions do you make on a daily basis that you feel kind of obligated? God was obligated in no way to us. We were not worthy. We were not, we had no merit. There was, there was nothing deserving in us. And adoption just illustrates this, the incomparable height and depth and breadth and length of God's love for you. The Puritans put it this way. God's love is an ocean without floor or shore. God's love is an ocean without floor or shore. It is immeasurable. It's bigger than you can ever imagine. You can't figure out the boundaries of it or the depths of it or the heights of it. Predestination to adoption, because of God's love, it just expresses the contours and the shapes and the scope of God's choosing love. This is what Paul is, is celebrating. As one person put it, God's love is not found in the philosopher's detachment from the world. Rather, grace, motivated and empowered by God's love and mercy in a broken, suffering world. Corrects any inaccurate picture you might have have uh, come across or even accepted of God who is cold or disinterested. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, it's true, isn't it, that in our relationships we always or often assume the worst of people. Maybe someone does something that we don't really appreciate and we basically accuse and say, why did you do that? And we point the finger. But with God, you always have to assume the best intentions. That you should always question your own intentions and your own motives, but know that God is love, that God is holy and good and kind and merciful and gracious and loving. And that you can always assume the best intentions with God. His motive 
was love. Secondly, and this is really the second prepositional phrase, his act. It was adoption. The act was adoption. It's a compound word that means to place or appoint a son. To place or appoint a son. You think of Israel having belonged to God by adoption. You think of in Exodus, in Jeremiah, that Israel was considered the firstborn of God, uh, with God as their father. But when you look in the Old Testament, it doesn't speak of the Israelites being adopted into a different family or into God's family. Adoption into a family, per se, is not really seen in the Old Testament. Likely what Paul is thinking about here is Roman law and practice. He was, uh, the people were under Roman rule. Paul was born a Roman citizen. And so to understand biblical adoption, we need to understand Roman law and practice as it relates to adoption. The biblical idea of adoption is, is somewhat different than today. And uh, almost every culture has you know, laws and regulations about adoption. Some of them are very similar. Some of them are different. But to understand biblical adoption, you need to understand Roman family structure. The Roman household. It was led by the pater familias, literally the head of the family. And this person had absolute power. It was called patria potestas, paternal legal authority over the whole family. So there was full legal ownership over all the family owned. The paterfamilias could do whatever he wished with it. But then it became a little more sinister and barbaric. He could take a family member's life and it wasn't considered murder. He owned them. It included sons of any age, unless the father released the son from his power through emancipation or gave them to a new head of household. Like here, there's a new head of household that's going to be now your father. So a point as a son is very important because of the significance in the Greek and Roman context in the family and in the household. The primary connection between adoption and sons was inheritance. And it was the continuation of a family. The purpose of adoption was so that the adoptee could take the position of a natural-born son in order to continue the family line, in order to keep things going, in order to maintain property ownership even. And then, in the next generation, the son had absolute power. The adopted son was no longer a member of his old family, but heir to become paterfamilias of the property and persons of the new family. As Galatians 4, 7 puts it, if a son, then an heir. And the primary concern was the continuity of the family. Now, if the paterfamilias was head of a town, if he had soldiers, the son inherited that position too. So to be adopted, it meant you had all the rights, all the privileges that belonged to the father's children. And so when you come to the five instances in the New Testament of adoption, you need to think of Roman adoption and the household situation and the context. And so when you read something like Romans 8.15, in Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a child. You look at eight, Romans 8.23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are groaning. We are spirit-led. We, are, we have this inward groaning going on as we are waiting for final adoption. 
And you look at Romans 9, 4, to the Israelites belong the adoption. You look at Galatians, it was read earlier, that, that in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. No longer slaves, but sons. That God is going to take, and is what he does, he takes full possession and ownership of believers. When we surrender to Jesus, he has full ownership and possession over us. His purpose in election earlier in this chapter was that we might be holy and blameless before him on the day that Christ returns. But his purpose in predestining people to adoptive sonship is to bring us into his family, to accept us into his family. That in Christ, the family inheritance to the exalted position of sons now is not restricted as it was in Roman times to males or Jews or free people. But in Christ, spiritual adoption is on all to whom God gives his grace, bestows his grace in Christ. And belonging to God, this is what Paul is telling us. This is the momentous privilege that is granted to bankrupt slaves. Slaves to sin, slaves to Satan. And, and what he does, he takes the bankrupt, you have nothing, you're destitute, and, and he takes you and brings you into his family. This is like a homeless shelter willing to take in anyone who will go by their guidelines. But it goes so far beyond that. That God takes us who were destitute, that were without hope, that were completely lost, that were with, with no merit, with no worth, and, and says, you're going to be mine. And the, and the world would see us as, as garbage. The world would see us as throwaway. And God says, no, I am going to redeem you, that those with no hope now is, are filled with hope. That you could be grateful. This is, why, this is why Paul is so excited. Because of this, because God in love adopted every believer, you can be grateful. Do you know when someone gives you a gift and you're like, thank you so much, and you keep thanking them? You're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they're like, you can stop thanking me now. You will never want to stop thanking God. God's not going to say, you know what, you can stop thanking me now. You're just too grateful. A lot of us are like, you know, too demanding. A lot of us are like a little too worried about ourselves. What about if we just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for adopting me into your family. I was lost. I was on the way to hell. The reason I'm not going to hell is because you brought me into your family. I'm going to thank you to the end of my days. I'm going to thank you with every breath I have. I'm going to thank you with every ounce of my being. Grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. His motive was love. His act was adoption. And then you see the third prepositional phrase. God's focus was to himself. To himself. The believers are chosen by God, predestined as his adopted sons and daughters, full-fledged members of God's household, and, and God took distant foreigners and made them his kin, his kinfolk. That under Roman law, even, adoption had two steps. Very interesting. Step one, the son had to be released from a natural father. And, and this is kind of wild, but the father sold him three times as a slave to the adopter. The adopter would release him two times, would come under the father's control again, and then with the third sale, the adoptee was freed from his natural father. That's how, how, how big this thing was, just in that society. 
The second step, though, was the natural father no longer had any authority over this son. The adopter became the new father with total control. And until the adopted one died, or the adopter freed him, he was owned by the new father. The son was not any longer responsible to his natural father, but only to his newly acquired father. Well, here's the great thing. Spiritual adoption in Christ, because God doesn't die, you're always going to be under his control. You're always going to be his. You're always going to belong to him. This is why false teaching on, on, oh, you can lose your salvation is so utterly ridiculous. Even things like adoption, like, no, God's not going to give you back. He's not going to give you back to Satan. He's not going to give you back to your old father, the devil, who blinded you and held you captive to do his will. He's not giving you back. He's keeping you. We're so grateful. God doesn't die. We'll always be under his control. We'll always belong to him. And furthermore, our Heavenly Father has the absolute right to discipline his children. Sometimes we're like, oh, uh, things are going badly in my life. And you look at Hebrews 12 and you're like, maybe God's disciplining you to, to make you holy. And it's not harsh. If you think about the context there, under Roman law, adoption existed to continue the family name and property. The adopted one acquired the new status, the new privilege, the property, not available under his old father. And under Roman law, the adopted child would acquire all legal rights of a natural-born child, released from the control of the natural father. Child received the parents, the family name, the family status, because it's about belonging. And God is our father, and, and in Christ, he takes center stage in the family. You know, when someone wants to uh, jump on stage and, you know, get everyone's attention and what have you, uh, it's like I, I would tell my son when he was growing up, I say, son, there's a time and a place certain things. Don't be that guy that everyone's going, oh, look at him, all right? And then he, as he started getting older, he's like, dad, don't be that guy, all right? Uh, what comes around goes around, right? Adoption is about belonging. God is center stage in the family. And God says this, because you are sons, Galatians 4, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, crying, Father. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. And if a son, son and daughter, male and female, boys and girls, men and women, then an heir through Christ. And this is adoption's vertical aspect, that God's children call him Abba. This is what Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. This is the cry of conflict. This is the cry of closeness. This is the cry of dependence. When you say, God, I need you. I need you to give me the strength I need. I need you to lead me and guide me and protect me and provide. I, I can't figure this life out. See, God's adopting you to himself in Christ. If you're a Christian today, it's relational. It, it, love reinforces the idea of the inheritance and the blessings. That adoption in Christ is about relational ownership and think about it our family has has done a bit of fostering of children with for families in need and always the goal is re reunification with the former family but in Christ reunification with your former family is not possible and it is not preferred you have no responsibility to your 
to your old father, the devil. You have no obligation to your old father, the devil. You were previously blinded. You were held captive by the devil. But in Christ, you have been set free. You have been set free by the truth. And God controls his sons and daughters' lives and property. And we gladly receive that. We gladly surrender to that. God is gracious. He rescues you from Satan. He brings you into his family. He gives his immeasurable riches. And then, on top of all that, if that wasn't enough, he makes you like him. He makes you like him. Thomas Watson put it this way. A man adopts one for his son and heir that does not at all resemble him. But... Whoever God adopts for his child is like him. He not only bears his heavenly father's name, but his image. That's why adoption is the basis for your hope in Christ and your holiness. It is bedrock of Christian assurance that God receives you to himself. You who feel worthless. You who feel like you keep falling and failing. You who feel so feeble and frail. God receives you to himself and secures you in him. Therefore, you can cling to him and worship him and obey him like a dependent child clinging to his father or mother. God's motive is love. God's act is adoption. God's focus is to himself. Belong to him. And then fourth, God's means. The, the adoption agency is Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Through means by the means of, by the means of the work of Christ that makes it possible for a sinner to be adopted into the family of God. That through Jesus Christ, the adoption is done. He is the agency, if you will, of adoption. The seed of David fulfilled the promise, declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, and it is through Jesus Christ, in vital union with him, that believers truly are children of God. If you ever doubt it, think of your adoption. Your adoption in Christ. He purposed it in love. He did it. He secured it. It was through Jesus Christ. Christ came to earth for our adoption as God's sons and daughters. And John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You would never trade your children. Sometimes you want to. But you love them. You might not always like them, but you love them. Kids, your parents love you. Christian, your heavenly father loves you. Adoption, as God's child, you become an heir through Jesus Christ because and through your union with him. It is in Christ alone that you receive the undeserved share in the promises made to him. Privileges as God's son. And Jesus Christ even shares his divine sonship with you. You call God Father because Jesus did. You are heirs of God because Jesus is God's heir. 
and the presence of the Holy Spirit with believers, it's evidence that this restoration has begun. That adoption shows the Spirit's work of using God's word to assure us of sonship. Romans 8 says, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that believers are God's children, that you are spiritually related to Jesus, God's Son, and that heirs with him of future glory. And your bodily resurrection will make your adoptive sonship complete. You were saved from sin, from the power and penalty of sin. You're being saved from the power and penalty of sin. And you will one day be fully saved from the power and penalty and presence of sin. This is our hope in Christ. God does not put you into an inferior family. God is not sending you down to the minors. God is not sending you to another place and saying, until you get better, you won't be with me. You'll be with the farm team. God does not place you into an inferior family. He appoints you to be co-heirs with his firstborn son. And you get blown away by it. I remember when I was first a pastor, we had a, it was a big church, Baptist church we were at, the church I got saved at, the church Angela and I met at, the church we got married at. And uh, when I became a pastor on staff, there was, there was all these older men that were my mentors, and they're like, you're one of us now. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, junior. And all the younger guys were like, no, we're junior. Uh, we're not like you. We're not as, you know, spiritual and as, and as uh, able as you. And they're like, oh, no, you're one of us. And we're going to whip you into shape, but you're one of us. God does not place you into an inferior tier of of Christendom when you first become a believer. He appoints you to become a co-heir with his firstborn son and Christ's status of God's son lifts you out of the status of slave and makes you a son or daughter with Christ. It is through Jesus Christ. It is only in Christ that you receive these blessings. This is why Paul is so worked up about it. This is why I'm so worked up about it. This is why you need to be so worked up about it. it tells you the gracious basis of our hope and gift of assurance, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. He, he didn't choose the deserving. He didn't choose the well-born. He didn't choose the perfect. He didn't choose the powerful. He didn't choose the wise. He chose those who were by nature children of wrath and sons and daughters of disobedience. And God, here's what he does. He takes helpless, wicked, sinful enemies under the realm of darkness and makes them family. It's, it's the, and, and that shows the horizontal, the horizontal aspect of adoption. That God is our Father, therefore we are family with other Christians. I learned this from John Owen, but he says you have to decide ahead of time that you love all Christians. Then when you meet the ones in your local church, you'll have a better chance of loving them. God is our Father, so we are family with other Christians. Church, the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ is a family of adoptive brothers and sisters. And you don't get to choose your family. God did. You might not like them all, but you better love them all. You know, you have to be careful to cultivate relationships that are healthy and, and nutritious and good for you. It's kind of like if you want to make a delicious soup. I, I got home from Africa on Friday night, and my, our daughter, Sophia, had made this delicious soup. And it, it was just wonderful. Man, everything was just tasting so good, and she made it with care. There was no poisoning in it. Um, 
It was just all nutritious and delicious. But you know what happens when we neglect our relationships? Sometimes, I don't know, this probably never happened to you. I've done it before. I've seen it happen. Where you make something in a pot or whatever, and, and then you don't clean out the pot, but you maybe put some water in it or something, but you just kind of leave it there. And then, I don't know, three or four days later, you come back and there's like mold. And I call that a science experiment. And the deal is, you shouldn't be doing science experiments with your family in Christ. You need to take great care. Don't just leave them there to get moldy and, and, and fall by the wayside. You have to be careful to cultivate your relationships so they are healthy and nutritious and delicious, and you care for your brothers and sisters in Christ such that you think of them more than you think of yourself. By grace, we grow together through Christ, in Christ, for Christ. God's motive is love, his, his act, his adoption, his focus is himself, his means is through Jesus Christ, and fifth, his joy. Oh, wait, do you see this? Look at, go back to the passage, just look at these verses, and I want you to look at, I want you to look at Ephesians 1, verse 5, put your eyes on this, and I want you to see it. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, here it is, according to the purpose of his will. According to the purpose of will. Now, when you first see that, you're like, well, yeah, he wanted to do it. That's great. But there's so much more. Purpose here means good pleasure. It's the good pleasure of his will. Good pleasure relates to the will of God. The basis of his election of you is his joyful will. That God took, and if you can believe it, if you can just receive it and accept it, God took great delight in choosing his children and planning to bless them. Graciously making us sons and daughters and heirs 100% due to the Father's will, apart from any merit in us. Through the redeeming act of his beloved son and his sacrifice, motivated by love, and God did this happily. He was happy to do it. Some of you are like, I don't think God likes me very much. I'm just not good enough. I don't know if I'm, I'm a good enough Christian. I don't know this. I'm, I'm always failing. I'm always sinning. I'm always doing all this. Could you receive the truth from this verse that says that God happily adopted you according to his will? If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you have no hope. You're without God in the world, and you need Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. You need to believe that he died in your place at the cross as your substitute, shedding his blood, paying the penalty your sins deserved, so that, and, and he died and was buried and rose from the dead on the third day and he ascended to the Father and he's coming back with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who do not and you need Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you need him now. You need to believe. You receive the adoption. But if you are a Christian, the joyful act of God in bringing you in and keeping you in his family is astounding. He's humbling. It's a full welcome. It's a full welcome without regret. God's not regretting that he chose you. He chose you before the foundation of the world, knowing everything about you. He was happy to do it. And it's all by grace. God brings people together whom he will delight in and enjoy. His good pleasure. This clarifies that God did not select people in some uninterested way. Like if you're at the supermarket and you're picking out tomatoes, let's say, or, or apples, and sometimes you might indiscriminately just pick one, and I'll take this one, or I'll take that one. You get home, and you're like, bruises. 
There's a worm, you know, and you're like, why? I should have chosen better. God didn't say oops when he chose you. you. But you were cut and bruised. You're filled with bruises and cuts. But by the good pleasure of his will, and that will that is at work in you now, you see the splendor of the magnificence of God and his grace and his love and his mercy and in the secret counsel of the triune God, he determined your destiny and he chose you out of all humanity and it wasn't unpleasant to him. It was his great pleasure. He is not an angry, stern Lord that is watching over a predetermined plan. He is a smiling father. Just like a, brand, like a brand new dad who just looks at his baby in the crib and prays over that child. Or when the, the child begins to walk or ride a bike or get married or have their own kids. A smiling father who enjoys giving his riches to his children. Adopted according to his favor and will. It pleased God to do so. He delighted to adopt you. It was the good pleasure of his will, and it speaks of his sovereignty, he who works all things after the counsel of his will. He was influenced by no one else. My friend Newton Chilangulo, he, he's been building rooms in his house for his favored guests. We come to his house, he says, you can stay in this room or that room or this room. It's like me and my favorite child. We have five kids, but me and my favorite child when we hang out. I'm just happy to give them everything I have. Actually, my favorite child is all of my children. You're God's favorite child. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm like not even ranking, you know, like, the, like on Amazon, it's like, this book is number one million, you know. Wow, I'm almost there. You're like, I'm not even ranking in the top five million. You're thinking to yourself, I'm not that great. I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty bad. And all I can tell you is that God took great pleasure in bringing you into his family, believer, and savor the thought. Could you savor the thought with me of God's good pleasure before the foundation of the world to adopt you as his favored child? And then praise him for his magnificent grace. Praise God for it. That you can trust that God is rooting for you and working for your Christian growth. One person put it this way, the least degree of sincere sanctification being an effect of regeneration, God making the dead to live, is a certain sign of adoption. The least degree of sincere sanctification, just a smidge of growth, a step in the right direction, is a certain sign of adoption and may minister a sure argument that you are the adopted child of God. God's motive was love, his act was adoption, his focus to himself, his means was through Jesus Christ, and the joy, the purpose of his will. And then the last statement, God's goal. God's goal. The praise of his glorious grace. Praise. Revolves around the first person of, of, of the Trinity. God the Father, praise. Carries the idea of approval and applause, and it speaks of praise and Glory of God by believers. Glorious. Praise his glorious grace. The honor, the glory, the splendor, the magnificence, the excellence of God. 
It speaks of the brightness of the moon and the stars and the sun. Uh, we were in Africa, and we were out in Newton's front yard, and we were just looking up at the stars one night in wonder at how bright they were. Glory is the brightness of God, the kingly majesty belonging to God as supreme ruler, where, where you recognize God's absolute perfection. You praise his glorious grace, his undeserved favor that grants salvation to sinners through Christ's death and resurrection. And this is focused on God predestinating and choosing. But interesting thing about glory, glory originally had the idea of my opinion or the opinion of others, the, the reputation but the Bible has a unique meaning. Glory is God's self-revealed reputation that you need to accept. He's given the reputation. Glory refers to God's name, refers to God's greatness, even of his godness. It is used so many times in Scripture. In the New Testament, it's used 166 times, 77 times by Paul, eight times in Ephesians. And it expresses God's motive being his honor and splendor and power and radiance that reflects the essence of his being. Why is this important? It's because this is the sum of his attributes and the impact of his reputation that already exists is glory. It's like if you have a good or bad reputation, it's what, what do people think the moment you walk in the room or they think of you? And with God, his reputation is pristine and stellar and perfect, and we are to glorify or magnify or praise him because he, he is glory, and he reflects his glory. Psalm 138, too, says he has magnified, he has literally exalted above all things his name and his word. Magnify the greatness of God the Father, God's delight in, in the free act of lavish grace towards believers prompts you to praise him. The praise of his people is the ultimate purpose of his decision to make believers his people. It's why you exist. It's why Jesus saved you. It's why you can serve his purposes. He is praiseworthy. Think with me for a moment. People brag all the time about their abilities, about their products, about their children. They go big on sharing how great they are. I call it look at me or notice me living. But you can't talk Jesus up too much. You need to billboard Jesus. You need to consistently post up how great Jesus is. You need to make much of Christ. George Whitfield wanted people to be saved so much, he rode on his horse from town to town toting a pulpit and a Bible and the Matthew Henry commentary. And he preached the gospel to whoever would listen. And thousands came to hear him preach, and many seemed to show conviction and repentance of sin. And people would tell him the numbers. And Whitfield would answer, allegedly. He wanted people to actually be saved. Christ's glory enthralls your heart such that you don't want to lift yourself up and magnify yourself. And you, you, want, you want people to be saved, you want people to be sanctified, and you want them to truly know the gospel. And when you see the glory of God and the word of God, you're revived. You, you say, I'm going to live a high road. I'm going to not fixate on the world in its miserable depravity. I'm going to focus on the answer. The news, is it not shocking? Our depravity, is it not horrifying? But Jesus' cross work is our only hope. The world is humanly broken beyond repair. 
The gospel gives you hope. Jesus restores what sin destroys. So tell the gospel truth about sin and about salvation and billboard Jesus. Make, make him the focus so that people would come to faith in Christ and find their joy in Christ and fix their eyes on the consolations of Christ. That you would express your, your exclamation of praise to God, the marvels of his grace bestowed on his people because his motive was love and his act was adoption, and it was to himself, through Jesus Christ, the purpose of his will, the praise of his glorious grace, that he chose before creation to make every believer his own. He determined to save us in predestination. He chose us in election. In his perfect time, he adopted us as his children. In regeneration, he gave us spiritual life. He called us to himself through the human gospel proclamation. We responded in saving faith. The gospel is, is magnetic, it's inescapable, it's irresistible by grace as God draws the elect to himself. You were converted as you willingly received and responded to the gospel and repented of your sins and believed in Jesus and you were justified by God, an instant legal act that God declared your sins forgiven and Christ's righteousness yours and it was all to the praise of his glorious grace and he took absolute pleasure in doing it. And he cannot lie and so you need to believe it all. If you can't say amen to that, you need to say ouch. If you can't say amen to that, you need to say, God, have mercy on my soul. Just don't resist the truth. Gratefully yield to his purpose. We were, we were driving on a lot of roads in Malawi. And Malawi roads made me grateful. I decide I will never again complain about a road in America. Or on that Wednesday night. All I can tell you is your sin should make you very grateful for Christ's salvation. If the heart, the heart doesn't feel what the eye has not seen, you should see it, see it in the scriptures. Gratefully savor being adopted by God to praise his glorious grace. God predetermined to make you his own to praise his glorious grace. Let God rouse your heart to gratitude, to fill you to overflowing with thoughts of his glorious grace. The family that adopted those children before the judge signed the adoption order. He said to the father and mother, And the name of the children shall henceforth be, and then he named the two kids' names. I want you to know, Christian, your name in Christ shall henceforth be beloved in the beloved. God sees you and says, Mine, my beloved child. And you need to just recount the blessings that he has given you in Christ and called you by his name because of who he is and what he does. Be very glad with me to resolve to live to the glory of God with a grateful heart, looking forward to our inheritance in Christ that is eternal. And as Samuel Rutherford put it, because I am his own, God be thanked, he may use me as he pleases. Because I am his own, he may use me as he pleases. And Lord God, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. Because you first loved us, Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that you lavish upon us. Thank you for choosing every believer to be your own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we close singing, Give Me Jesus.
Remind you, midweek service, 6.30 p.m. Wednesday night, all church invited. Junior high and youth groups will be joining us to celebrate God's work in Malawi and Zambia. And uh, be praying for our Tijuana team that's returning today and uh, others that are going out. We're going out every day uh, from wherever we live to wherever God sends us to serve his purposes. So let's pray for all of each other. And i got to ask a question. Is there a guy in the room with my name? Just raise your hand, please. Is that that guy right there? So I got just, I, I, there's a fellow pastor here, Mike Shera. How do you pronounce your name? Same. And he lives in upstate New York, Long Island, wherever that is in New York, yeah. <laughs> Downstate. And uh, we're going to meet each other in just a moment. Uh, we have the weirdest story of how we met. Some guy at his church thought I was him, and he emailed me once and said, hey, when you preach this Sunday, what are your questions? I'm like, who are you, and what's this church? We found each other, and I think we're long-lost cousins. Uh, we're brothers in Christ, and we, inter- we encourage each other uh, pretty often, and we've never met, so we're going to meet in a minute. Uh, <laughs> so I knew he was here with his family. I know you got your whole family here. and uh, Anyway, so we're going to be talking. All right, so let's, um, let's close with Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. How many years ago was that, three years ago or so? Yeah, it's crazy. All right. God knows. He's so, so interesting. Oh, his name has one R in the last name. So somebody dropped an R at, at uh, Ellis Island. I don't know what happened. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now may the God of peace who brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Please uh, send us on our way now uh, with your grace and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.